Good morning. Well, have you guys been enjoying the book of Romans so far? You guys getting something out of it? You learning something? We don't have too much longer to go, I think. What are we looking at? End of mid-November, Joseph? End of November when we're done? Finally made it all the way through the book of Romans. We're going just about half a chapter a week, although today we're going to make it all the way through one chapter. You guys can thank God for a short, short chapter. There you go. But just for, just for that, just for Cliff's exuberance and clapping for the short chapter, I'm going to make it go really long. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've got to make up for it. Praise God. Let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank You. Father, we thank You that You have... Have your word written down for us, Father, that we can spend time in it, that we can learn from it, that we can be challenged. And Father, I pray that this morning our hearts are open and ready to receive what you have for us, Father. Lord, I pray that it would not find rocky soil or, or soil that is overgrown with weeds, Father, but that it would find fertile soil, that it would grow and produce fruit in our lives, Father. Lord, I pray that this morning wouldn't be just a, a check mark on our list for the week, Father, but instead that we would really take time to, to meditate on your word, Father, that we would learn from it. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us and, and, and making known what was previously mystery to us this morning, Father. And Lord, I thank you that we are going to, to, to leave today different than how we came in, Father, more mature with a greater revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So you remember last week, Paul basically in, in chapter 12 went ahead and, uh, yeah, that's not the chapter. That's the uh, number that we're on. <laughs> For all who are confused, this is Romans part 23, not chapter 23. <laughs> Hallelujah. I could see the looks on faces out there just going through it. Huh? I don't know. Well, that's it. We're going through, a, through a, about a half a chapter a week, so it makes for more parts. Hallelujah. But last week, we went through chapter 12, the whole chapter, and we basically got a, to, to take a, a look. Paul kind of gave a lowdown on what it looks like or many of the characteristics that a Christian should have. And just a quick recap, the, the big one is we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. And you guys remember that when you're a sacrifice, that means sometimes it's not easy. That means sometimes you got to get up on Sunday morning even when you're super tired and you don't want to go. That means sometimes that you have to get up and spend that time in prayer and in worship even when you don't feel like it. Anybody ever worshiped when you didn't feel like it? I have before. I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's some Sundays that I don't want to come to church. This morning was one of them, actually, to be honest with you. I've been sick all week. I'm trying to get over this cold. But... Uh, but you know what? God is a God who heals and God is faithful. And the truth is, is that I'm not going to let something going on in my life, some circumstance, keep me away from a God who loves me and gave everything for me. So in our bodies, we, we make living sacrifice. I mean, sometimes it's not easy. We also learn that we're not to be conformed to this world because we're aliens and sojourners in this land. We're actually part of the kingdom of heaven, not part of this kingdom. So we have to be careful with what we get involved in here. And instead of being part of this world, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How many of you remember how to renew your mind? Spend time in the Word. That's the only way that you're going to do it. I remember 
when I was a younger Christian, I thought that I was going to be a good Christian by basically laying out the list of rules. This is what a Christian does and what a Christian doesn't do. But it turns out when your mind's not renewed, it's really hard to do those things. And it wasn't until I met my pastor who began to explain this more rightly to me, and I began to just spend time in the Word, and instead of having to, to really try to do these things, I found out that I would do them naturally because as my mind became renewed, I began to do things that were in line with Christ and not in line with my old way of thinking. He also reminded us that we're to be wary of pride and to not think too highly of ourselves. But instead, we ought to think of ourselves as God does. And the way God thinks about you is as He loves you. He adores you. And if you're in Christ, you're pure, you're holy, you're righteous, you've been made brand new, it's okay to say those things, to think those things about yourself. We ought to think about ourselves the way that God thinks about us. And then finally, remember like the last half was like the shotgun list of things to do as a Christian. Love genuinely, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another and outdo each other in showing honor. I said, that's one of my things that I've been telling people to do the, the most. Philippians 3, 2, is to consider others as more important than yourself. Paul said here, outdo each other in showing honor. It should be like a contest to see who can show more honor and more love to one another. We learn that we're one body, so that means when somebody rejoices, we rejoice with them. and somebody weeps, we weep with them. Paul said that as far as it depends on us to live peaceably with all men, that means that sometimes you have to go and apologize. That means, you know, someone's got a problem with you. you like the Scripture says, if you know something has someone, something against you, you, you leave your gift at the altar and go make right with them. Not if you have something against them. Even if you know they have something against you, whatever you can do to be right with all men. And then he says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And then Paul's going to continue on in chapter 13 as more of what it looks like to be a Christian. And we're going to look at a couple of, of, especially in this day and age, over the last 12, 10 or 12 years or so, I think it's tough for us as being in submission to governing authorities. Now, we need to be in a submission to all authority, but he's going to particularly deal with governing authorities. And I don't know what your political views are or who you voted for, but it doesn't really matter. We should still have the same view towards our, our figures in office, the authority figures, because we're going to, as we're going to see, God is actually the one who ordained authority in the first place. And then finally, we're going to look at what it looks like to be a Christian to fulfill the law. Wait a minute, Pastor Wayne, I thought as Christians we weren't subject to the law. You're not. You're subject to Christ, the law of love. But the funny thing about it is, is that Christ said, I didn't come to destroy the law, not, not one, one iota will be done away with, but he came to fulfill it. And when you live as a Christian, when your mind is renewed and you begin to live in love, and live with the mind of Christ, you're going to find that naturally you fulfill the law anyway. We're not subject to the law, but when we live with love, we automatically fulfill the law. And it's actually a pretty amazing thing. It's what I love about what God did with his son is because he went ahead and, and he didn't let anything fall by the wayside. He didn't, let, let, he didn't compromise anything. He upheld the law in his son. So let's go ahead and get started. Romans 13, 1 through 2 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, before anybody gets mad and yells, 
and wants to talk to me after the service. I didn't write this. God wrote this. You can argue with him later if you'd like. You're going to lose, but you can try. Lord knows I have from time to time. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So let's think of a little background of what's going on. Paul's writing to Christian believers in the heart of Rome. Christianity at this point is still largely considered just a sect of Judaism, and as such, Christianity is approved of by Rome at this point. They're not being persecuted. The the huge purging and persecution of the Christian faith by Rome has not yet happened yet. So this is still in the early stages. So Paul begins to direct us, the Roman church, but how many know that this stuff is written for us to learn from as well? He says that we need to be subject, or in other words, Everybody's favorite word, submit to the governing authorities that are around them. Now, to be clear, God doesn't endorse tyrants. He doesn't endorse evil leaders. Nor is he responsible for the sins of those leaders. When somebody's doing sinful, it doesn't mean that, that that's what God wants. If somebody's, you know, the, the, the stuff that's going on in this country, the stuff that's being passed into the law, just because it's happening doesn't mean that, and just because God has ordained authority doesn't mean that this is what God wants. However, the actual governing authority was established by God. Because God is not a a God of disorder or chaos. God is a God of order. And truthfully, um, people are stupid. And if we don't have an authority figure in place, if we don't have, particularly those who aren't saved, stuff gets crazy. You can see it right now, even with an authority. But can you imagine if we didn't have a government right now, what it would look like? Men need rule because of our sinful nature. Now, if you're a Christian and you're saved, that sinful nature is gone. It's been replaced with the the nature of Christ. But the truth is, there's a lot of people that aren't saved. I'd just assume have a government in place to keep them in check at least a little bit. Because the thing is, left unchecked, man would continue to get worse and worse and worse. And we may not always approve of the man in office. Can I get an amen? Really? There's been plenty of men in office that I don't approve of. I won't tell you which ones. If you know me, you know which ones. (laughs) But the truth is, there's been plenty of men in office that I don't approve of. Sometimes there's men in office I approve of the things that they're doing in office, but I don't approve of the man himself. But the reality is, is that an authority structure has been set up in place. We have to respect the position, respect the president because he's president, not because of who he is. You look in the Bible, you see this time after time where Christians or, or, or people of God have shown respect to people in government, even when it sure seems like they should not. Daniel and Joseph were perfect examples of this. They were both examples of men, and even though they were not citizens of where they were, they respected the rule of those in charge in so much as it didn't violate their faith. You also remember 
the little girl that was Naaman's slave that told him to go see the prophet who would heal him. And ultimately he listened. I mean, that, that story blows my mind. This little girl had her family killed by Naaman and she was stolen away. She's a slave girl. Yet she still showed honor and respect to her master at the time. Blows my mind. And then, like, has anybody ever done something and, and you just, you're frustrated with the rules or how things are set up and you feel like maybe you got a little bit of a raw deal? You guys remember those stupid red light cameras here in town? Oh, they're the worst. Matter of fact, you can watch, if you, if you look at the history of them, because they're all down now, because they never stay up anywhere they go up. They started in the East Coast, they went up, they generated a bunch of revenue, ticked everybody off, and they got put down. And then they went a little bit farther across the country, went up, got shut down, up, until uh, they got here. They got put up, everyone loved them, and now they're down. Matter of fact, when those people bring in those cameras, they have a whole legal team. If you go to fight a ticket at the, uh, at the, for those red light cameras, you're actually dealing with their lawyers. They have an answer for everything. They, they, they send lawyers to fight for, this, for this, the, the cities that put them in to make sure that the, the, the tickets stick. So I got a ticket from one of these stupid cameras some years ago. Do you guys know the one on Kolb? You ever see that the problem with these cameras, particularly in, in Arizona, is the way that we consider intersections. Now, every sane person would think that the intersection line is that line that you stop at. It's not. The intersection is the line from the two cross streets. Well, when you look at a place like Kolb, the two cross streets run like this, comes across like here, but the stop line is way back here, like three car lengths to the intersection. And the, the light was, was green and then turned yellow as I was going through it. And there was a guy that was going really slow. And literally, when they sent me the picture, one-tenth of a second was how far out I was from crossing the line. Oh, I was so mad. One-tenth of a second. Not only that, those things are crazy. They cause more problems than they, they, they serve. And I, I really wanted to fight it, like one-tenth of a second. But you know what? The reality was, is by one-tenth of a second, I broke the law. <laughs> and I went down and paid my fine and uh, did driving school because apparently... Running a red light is one of the worst offenses that you can have, according to the uh, Arizona state government. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was so upset. But the truth is, is that, that we have to respect the laws of where we live. So I went in and I, I paid my fine like I was supposed to. And I and, uh, was very, very careful around those lights from then on out, which is why they make things worse and people get in accidents because you're so concerned about getting a ticket. You know what? I also find humor in people that that I always try to mess with law enforcement. You know, you see videos or YouTube videos and all that stuff, people messing around. And like, why are you guys, like I said earlier, sometimes people can be dumb. The thing, and, and really this, this whole idea of, of hatred towards law enforcement right now and, and, and even the, the military and something, it just drives me crazy because these people are giving everything for us and we should respect them. Now, if there's bad ones, take care of them. But it doesn't mean we have to blanket the entire office as a whole. But the truth is, is that when we push back against that stuff, when we try to, to basically be rebels without a cause, we're only going to bring problems on ourselves. Amen? I know this from experience. 
you will bring problems on yourself. Man, I thought this was going to be a fast one today. It might not be. So I used to work for Frito-Lay. And I, I used to hate how things were being run. And it got to the point that I was being stubborn and obstinate. Like I was walking the line. I was, I was being the worst employee that I could be without actually breaking any rules. And uh, this was a long time ago, a long time ago. The truth is, as Christians, we should be model employees because we're working for God, not unto men. Amen. This was BC days. So, but I, I was just being ornery and oh, just stubborn and obstinate, whatever I could get away with. And you know what happened? I didn't really stick it to them. I just hated my job. It was miserable going in. I thought I was, I was, I was taking a stand, but I just made life worse for myself. Not to mention the people that are above me in authority. They don't like me much either because I was really good at getting on that line and not crossing it. They couldn't do anything, but I was, I was, I was causing a, a terrible work environment. It just causes problems in your own life. But I do want to be clear, though, we are to be subject to the governing authorities, particularly uh, the, in, in our, our cities and our, our land. You know, we need to obey the law. We need to respect the offices. But there is a difference between respecting the office and being subject to the authorities and the law and violating your faith. There is a difference. I'm not asking anybody to violate your faith. That would be the one time to be in, stand up in, in rejection of, of the authorities. If they tell you that you can't worship, if they tell you that you can't pray, if they tell you those things, those are the times that you stand up. You see, for the Roman church here, it wasn't going to be too long down the road from when Paul is writing this when the Christians would have to make a choice. They would either hail Caesar as God or they would rebel and uphold their faith, but they had to make a choice. And in that case, you don't uphold Caesar, you rebel. Because God is God, not Caesar, amen? And the truth is, there may come a time for that in this, for us in, that, in this country as well. And we ask the age-old question, if Christianity were to be made illegal tomorrow, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Something to think about. But as long as it doesn't violate our faith and the Word of God, we should respect the authorities, Amen? Romans 13, 3 through 4, he goes on. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So just so everybody's clear, these rulers and authority figures aren't actually there and out to get law-abiding citizens. It's one of the things that I always find humorous when people get upset about, you know, cops being in the area or, or this and that. And I'm like, what are you so worried about? You know, can, can they not see your life? Is there something that you're hiding? The thing is, if you're doing the right thing, there's no reason to fear authority figures in our life as long as they're operating within the confines of the Word of God. If they're violating the Word of God, then, then we, don't, we don't submit. But otherwise, we do. And even more so, if we do what is good, the very same authorities that are there to, to cause problems, or to not cause problems, but to, to rectify people that are causing problems, those very same authority figures will actually give you praise 
if you do well. They're, you're appreciated for doing those things. And Paul even used Roman law more than once to save his life, protect his life, and continue serving God. Paul wasn't above using Roman law even for the furtherment of the ministry of God. You guys remember when he was imprisoned and he was, he was beaten and he was, he was told by the jailers that the, to, to, the official said to release him and he said, no, you have the officials come and release me. Don't they know that they've imprisoned a, a Roman citizen unrightful, unrightfully? Have them come. And then they were all afraid because they broke the law. But we should also understand as Christians that the rules aren't for terror for good conduct, but to bad. And we shouldn't have fear of those who are in authority. And if we do good, we do receive the authority's approval. But we also need to understand that as Christians, that when we do bad, we're going to incur consequences as well. We have to understand that even though you can be forgiven, doesn't mean that there's not consequences. Break the law, whether it's as minor as a speeding ticket to as severe as is murder. There's consequences for those things. Now, I thank God as a Christian that you can be forgiven, that you can have your sin is washed away as a Christian as long as you've repented and your eyes are on Christ. You've received that forgiveness. But it doesn't mean you won't spend the rest of your life in prison because there are consequences. God has set this authority up to protect people. And the truth is, as Christians, we should respect and submit to these outcomes. That's why I went and paid that silly ticket that I don't think I should have gotten. According to Plato, Socrates even refused to escape his execution as he undermined the state with its good laws as well as its bad laws. I figure if a Greek philosophy can be the moral, take the moral high ground on this, I think as Christians that we should be able to do the same thing. And we must. So the question then becomes: if if this is the case, why do we have to respect these people in authority, especially if it seems like they're not doing anything for the kingdom of God? Why do we have to do these things? But the Scripture says that. The people that are in authority are ministers of God. That's what it says right here. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And he says that we must do this not only to avoid God's wrath. What is this wrath that he's talking about? He says because of wrath, which is why we should avoid these things. Do you know that when you act a fool, the full wrath of the position that's in authority comes down upon you? If you get a ticket, you got to pay it. If you murder someone, you go to jail. If you assault somebody, you're going to get arrested. You're going to incur that full wrath of the position. But this also doesn't mean that God is responsible for the sins of tyrants or evil rulers. It doesn't mean that God is using these people to incur wrath on a people. When we have uh, evil rulers in places around the country, that's not God trying to punish that country. God may have set up the authority, but what people do in it is, is really up to their own decisions. Only the authority to rule comes from God. The foolishness of the people in it, that's completely their own. Much like our foolishness is completely our own. We can't blame God for the dumb things we do in our lives. Nebuchadnezzar was a perfect example of this. And he kind of had to learn the hard way that uh, God is the one that to put him in that place to use him for a purpose, but he wasn't, the, he wasn't God himself. You read about it in Daniel chapter 4, but you remember he went from the ruler of that, that empire 
to eating grass in the field, just like a beast. God took him down a couple notches just to let him know his place. Because only the authority comes from God. The stuff that they do isn't always God, and sometimes God steps in. But the truth is, is that rulers do have the power to afflict punishment, and they also even have the power to take life. And we can incur that full wrath if we act a fool. Whether you're a Christian or not, you can be forgiven, but you still might pay the price. And we know this because God has established this rule because, like I said, when we're left to our own devices, we do all kinds of... You know why they called it the Dark Ages? Because it was everyone to themselves and there was no God. They pushed God so far away that it was just... it It was awful. It's funny, you would think that we would learn from those mistakes of the past, but we're trying to push ourselves into our own little dark age right now as we push God away from everything as a society, as a nation right now. And things might get ugly at some point. And then he says we must be in subjection also, not because of just a wrath, but because of conscience sake. Because it's just the right thing to do. We don't have to feel guilty or second-guess our actions. You know, when you get on the road and you're driving to work, if you keep it at the speed limit, you don't have to keep looking ahead for the cop car up the road. You don't have to worry about it. Your conscience is clean. You don't have to live constantly in fear. You don't have to always look over your shoulders. We can be examples to our children and the people around us. We don't have to be careful not to get caught. Man, I remember seeing a teenager was exhausting. Because I... Wasn't the best teenager. And uh, man, I spent most of my teenage years trying not to get caught. Exhausting. I mean, some, I, sometimes I feel like I should have just had like a, a wall with a Gantt chart trying to keep all my lives straight. What do they tie into? I, always. Don't think less of me now. I wasn't always a pastor. I see that look on your face over there, Jim. Like, no. Hey, you made me forget where I was. Hold on. I'm getting, let me get back to it. Careful not to get caught. And I hated living like that. But when we, when we live right, when we live according to the law, if we live within society like they we're supposed to, then we don't have to, to walk around like that. Generally, you would just be a much happier person. And then he goes on to taxes. Who likes paying taxes? Nobody. Man. Taxes are a tough thing. Nobody wants to pay them. They want all the stuff that they bring, but nobody wants, everybody wants to have roads with no potholes, but nobody wants to pay taxes. Now, granted, there's a lot of stuff that I wish they wouldn't spend our tax money on, but that's for an entirely different conversation. But the truth is, is that, that people willingly pay taxes so the government can be the minister that God intended them to be. You know, we, we, don't, we don't not pay taxes so that they can do this. We need hospitals. We need law enforcement. We need roads. We need all of those things. That's what the government is there for. So Paul exhorts us to render what is due. If you remember, this is kind of the same attitude that Jesus took, right? When they tried to catch him up, and he says, let me see that coin. Whose face is on it? 
Well, it's Caesar. And he says, well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. find that interesting. Pay your taxes. People will marvel at you. The reality is, is that when we don't pay taxes, when people try to skirt around that stuff and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, then they're dis disrespecting the law of the land. I'm talking about government law, not God's law, but they're disrespecting that. They're disrespecting the officials that God has put in place to administer all that stuff. And ultimately, they're disrespecting God when you do those things. And when, when you live like that, how can that not affect your conscience? How can that not make you live without looking over your shoulder? One thing I know about government is that Christians, we don't always have to agree with what's going on. There's plenty of stuff that I don't agree with. But we are commanded to be in subject to authorities and to pay our taxes. As long as they don't violate God's word, they don't violate God's law, then, then these are the things that we ought to be doing. Amen? Then he goes on. Romans 13, 8 through 10, owe no, one any, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. First, he says, owe no one anything. Debt can cause all kinds of problems in your life. Don't owe anyone to anything. If you have debt in your life, it can make it where you're unable to serve God. It can make it where he's unable to send you where he wants to send you. What if God were to speak to, to any one of you in this room and say, you know what, I want you in Africa in a month. But you're like, I got my mortgage, my student loans, my car payments, my credit cards. There's no way you could leave and serve God because you have responsibilities here. You've let yourself be tied up in what you owe. And I'm not saying that I do it perfectly. Not very many people can buy a house without getting a loan. But the reality is, is we're not to be in debt because that puts us to be a slave to somebody else. As best we can, we should owe nothing to anyone, and this means that we owe nothing to one another. I also believe this means that we shouldn't loan to one another and expect anything in return either. Luke 6.35 says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. It's one thing that I've, I have resolved to do in my life is I don't loan money to anybody. I either give it to them or I don't. Because I don't want to ever be in a position where our relationship has changed because they owe me money. Or I owe them money for that matter. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Dave Ramsey used to always say this. He said, Thanksgiving dinner tastes different. When either you owe or somebody at the, or somebody owes you sitting at the table, you ever had somebody like that where you you lend them like thirty bucks and they can't pay you back, so you just want to hang out and they want to answer your phone call. Or they avoid you because they they know that it it really does it changes the dynamic of the relationship. 
much as you can. Don't owe buddy, anybody anything and don't let anybody owe you anything. If you want to help somebody, if they need your help, just give it to them. And then finally it says, loving one another fulfills the law. I love that. I, you know, that's one of the things that if you look at all of the commandments in the law, that's where it says the, the greatest two, and they're all summed up in love your God with all your heart, mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you will just live your life like that, loving people, genuine love, then we see last week, let your love be genuine, genuine love. If we live like that, then you're not going to do any of the things that are listed up here. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to steal. You're not going to murder. You're not going to covet. If you love somebody, you're not going to do any of those things towards them. And the reality is, is that Christ in us allows us to love like that. Not because of who somebody is or the things that they've done, but actually in spite of the things that they've done. Many times we look at people and they're, they're unlovely, if you will. They've done dumb things and they, they, they're, they're always acting a fool. And our instant, uh, our, our instinct is to, to push them off and to treat them poorly. And, but the reality is, is that regardless of who they are, Christ in you allows you to love them like he does. Man, if we would just live this way, if we would always live showing others love, what an incredible world to live in. Can you imagine what this world would be like if people would just show love to one another always? Stop being offended at every perceived slight and just love. Forgive at every real slight and just love. I think that if we would live like that, and that would be desired by all. I think if people saw us living like that, they would, they would come running to the doors of churches. Every church in this world would be slam-packed if Christians actually lived like that at every moment of their lives. We would be unable to handle the influx of women and men giving their lives to the Lord when they would see something different in the church than elsewhere in the world. If we would live like that, that's why John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love should be our calling card. I mean, when we're out walking next to people, like if you brush up against somebody, you should be like, I think you just got love on you. I, that's, you know what Gandhi said? Gandhi said, I like your Christ but I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. Can you imagine? I think that Gandhi's influence would have been so different because he was a, an incredible influence spiritually to people around him. Could you imagine if you had met Christians that acted like Christians and acted like Christ, how different his influence would have been on the world? Romans 13 11, as he continues on, he says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we, we first believed. Did you know that the time for Jesus' return is quickly coming upon us? I don't know exactly when it's going to be. Is it going to be this generation or the next generation? I'm not sure. It could be this generation. 
Scripture says in First Thessalonians 5, 2 through 7, it says, For you yourselves are fully aware the day the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. It's going to be coming back like a thief in a night. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's coming soon. One thing I do know is if anybody tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, that's the one day you can put on your calendar that he won't be coming back. The only thing I know for sure as far as Jesus' return. But he says, the hour has come for us to wake from sleep. That means we can't be complacent. That means we can't ignore it. We can't have our eyes shut to the reality of what God's trying to do in our lives. It's time to stop living the life that we used to live. He continues on in, in verse 12 through 14, for the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the... Did I not pass it forward? One more. There we go. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Church, the time has come to stop fooling around. The time has come to stop dabbling in the dark. So many Christians spend their entire life seeing how close they can get to the line without stepping over. They just want to get as, Pastor, can I do this? Or is this a sin? Pastor, is this a sin? Can, I mean, they, they want to see how close they can get. Because they, they want to bump up against sin. They just don't want to cross the line. They don't want to go into that territory. But the truth is, church, we have to stop living like that. Stop dabbling. Stop trying to see how close we can get. It's time to start living like Christians. It's time to start living holy. God said, you are holy because I am holy. I've always looked at that in two different ways. One, it's a reality. If you have Christ in you because He is holy, you are holy. He couldn't live in you if you weren't holy, but that's what's happened on the inside. But it's also a commandment to live on the outside. Live holy. Now I thank God that we are forgiven and we are free, but it's, it's not an excuse to live however we want. It's not a license to sin. It's not a license to do whatever we want. We can't say, oh, God will forgive us. But so many of us live that way. When I was very young, probably grade school or high school, I used to like reading books about uh, hauntings, and there was a couple books that I read about uh, uh, the occult and, and, and kind of just people doing interviews with people of the occult. And I wasn't into doing this stuff, but I like reading about that kind of stuff. And one of the most profound quotes that, that uh, there was a, a group of, of devil worshipers in Africa that were interviewed, and they said, why do you worship the devil? They said, <clears throat> they said, because God forgives everything. The devil's the one you have to worry about. 
And we all think that's absurd when we hear that quote, but so many Christians live like that. They figure God's going to forgive everything, so we'll do whatever we want. We're supposed to live holy. We're supposed to live like who we are. It's time to wake up and clean up church and live out what has happened inside of you. When we did communion this morning, one of the things I reminded you is that that you are clean, you are forgiven, you are whole. You've been made righteous, not of anything that you have done because what Christ has done inside of you. But when you're clean on the inside, that should make a difference on the outside. It should influence how you live your life, the things that you do. The reason why you feel uncomfortable and your conscience gets a hold of you when you're standing as close to the edge as you can because you're getting close to to operating in contrast and in a contradiction to who you are. And when you act that way, the reason it feels weird is because that's not who you are, but you're trying to do something that you're not. So there's this, it's like rubbing sandpaper together. It just doesn't flow because you're going in contradiction to who you are. thing is is all that stuff that you're trying to hold on to is who you were not who you are it's time to let go of it and live for god all that stuff isn't who you are anymore so stop it stop acting like that's who you are see that's the thing about walking in the daylight is it's walking in such a way that you can be seen if you can't do something in good conscience then don't do it that's why the bible says anything that you can't do in faith is sin In other words, if you wouldn't do it in front of your mama or your pastor, don't do it. As Christians, we should be the best workers. We should be the best citizens. And we don't have to agree on politics or parties or who we're even going to vote for. But we should all agree on how we're to treat our government. How we're to respect the authority of the government, the position that it's in. And if you don't like how our government's being run, exercise your right to vote. Make a change. Most importantly, if you don't like the way your government's being run, pray for your government leaders. It's one thing that I know for certain is it doesn't matter how we vote, it doesn't matter what laws that we enact, it doesn't matter what's going on, Christian laws aren't going to save this country. Godly laws aren't going to make a difference in people's hearts. You can make it illegal. You can make abortion illegal and alcohol illegal and drugs illegal and homosexuality illegal. You can make all those things illegal and that's not going to change anybody's heart. They need Jesus. So you want to see your government change, pray for your leaders to get saved. Or if they are saved, pray for them to start legislating like they're saved. And the truth is, is if we got everybody in office saved, you know what kind of laws would get passed? Laws that coincide with the Word of God. If they all got saved, we'd see different laws, we'd see a different government, maybe one that you wouldn't have to be in such a contradiction with. But church, one thing I know, is that just like Paul was saying, we need to live in the fullness of who we are in Him. And I think if we'll just start doing that, if when people see us, they see love, they're going to see something that they want, and we'll begin to see 
this world change again. We begin to see our nation change as they are drawn into the fold. But as long as we look exactly like the rest of the world, why would anybody want to be a part of it? So church, let's, let's resolve to be a people who live in the fullness of who we are in Him. Let's be a people who walk in the day instead of slipping back into that old night of who we used to be. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.